You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we today? Tavish, it's good to see you. It's been a while. How are you doing? Not bad, sir. Glad to be here. Hope you gentlemen are doing well. I'm not doing bad. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive. Yeah, doing well. All right. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today. And I thought that um, I thought we could start with New York. But um, let's I tell you what, since you haven't been here in a while, Tavish, uh, why don't you give us a rundown of how you're doing uh, and how things are going up there in your neck of the woods around Boston, Massachusetts? Um, well, sitting in a limbo trying to figure out when exactly I'll be able to get a vaccine shot, but uh, they are ramping up the sites you can get the vaccine, but there's a bottleneck in terms of the supply. Places that were supposed to get a thousand are getting a couple hundred maybe. So people are getting really frustrated in terms of having to jump through hoops to get an appointment. And then to find out they get there and it's like, well, sorry, you'll have to reschedule, ran out of vaccine. So a lot of people are getting concerned about that. And there's also a, still a big issue with the number of people that don't want to get the vaccine because of lack of confidence, lack of knowledge, whatever the reason might be, there's concern in terms of herd immunity. Will be will we be able to hit that plateau where the population overall will have better protection? We're getting there, but in terms of the actual number of people getting the vaccine, that seems to be on the low side. But hats off to West Virginia. They have really done an excellent job of not only setting up simplistic ways to an appointment, but they're pumping out the vaccines because they went to small town pharmacies rather than large hospitals or medical centers. Well, I can understand people's reluctance to want to get a vaccine. I mean, if you look at the people that are pushing it, uh, I don't trust any of those people as far as I could throw them. Uh, and that's not very far. So um, I, uh, I understand people's reluctance. Uh, believe me, I'm one of those reluctant people. Uh, and I will not, under any circumstances, uh, take this vaccine because, in my humble opinion, based on the research that we've done here and everything that uh, even GP has pointed out uh, that we've gone over here at Nauseam, this is not even a vaccine. The number of deaths that we're seeing in relation to this that are not even really being reported on uh, in areas across Europe, that's cause for concern. That's that's cause for serious concern. And the fact that you've got countries that are coming out now, I mean, you had the French president a couple of days ago saying these vaccines don't even work. So what are we doing? And then you've got other leaders that are saying, oh, yes, we're going to we're going to go 110 percent with this thing. I guess I just... I'm a little bit more concerned about the agenda rather than the effectiveness. And to be quite honest with you, I'm looking at what's going on behind the scenes. I'm looking at it at a global scale rather than something on a local level. I guess that's how I, I am. I live locally and I think globally. And when it comes to vaccines and I see people like, <laughs> quite frankly, uh, Bill Gates, Bill Gates should be in prison. He has no business running vaccination programs at all. Dr. Fauci, who, as far as I'm concerned, is responsible for this entire mess, has absolutely no authority or wherewithal to be speaking at all, uh, except from behind glass in a prison cell. So when I hear these two gentlemen specifically out there promoting vaccinations, uh, let me put it this way. It's cause for concern. And uh, I have 
absolutely no no trust nor respect for either one of these individuals and uh, and the companies themselves as far as that goes the uh, the big pharma companies the way that they have twisted this data the way that the media has been on board with this scaring people into taking it that's again that's another cause for concern that's another red flag to me on top of that you've also i mean it's as if that's not enough on top of that you also have a group of people that are looking to capitalize on this and regulate and, and control people's lives based on whether or not they have vaccinations. You might as well just start putting people in digital ghettos. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. They're bringing it up to the new age. So history is repeating itself, but they're doing it through the guise of white lab coats, public health departments and the like. All the contradictory messages that we get on top of that. So, no, I, I, uh, I, I don't buy any of this stuff. I, I don't buy any of this stuff. And that, again, that's just me. I mean, that's my own personal standpoint on it. Uh, but there's too many things that are involved here. There's too many people that are involved with this that don't need to be involved with this. As a matter of fact, they need to be prosecuted for being involved in this. And so they're the ones that just happen to be out there touting a vaccine. When in reality, that's not going to fix anything because look at the overblown numbers. I mean, the flu is non-existent. In, in my humble opinion, it's, it's not about that. That's just something that they want you to focus on. They, they want people to look at that as something that's going to fix something. It's going to uh, get you back to normal or whatever it is. They'll pedal whatever they need to pedal in order to continue that agenda. Uh, and that's all that it is, in my humble opinion. But um, I, I'm welcome to anybody's uh, rebuttal to that. Putting all that to side a second, there is also the, other than all the research we've done, the other reason I could see people being reluctant is our president and vice president and many of their staff have all said they weren't taking the vaccine when it was still President Trump. Now they're trying to push that same vaccine they said they weren't going to take originally. They, they had their reservations about it because, well, Trump. Now it's all okay. Now it's, oh, no, yeah, no, it's fine. We, we, we should get the, in fact, they, they do the little, they, you know, mock taking the vaccines themselves. I mean, we've seen celebrities doing the mock ones and, and how yeah. Arnold that cap just happens to get back on the needle before uh -huh. it... Uh, yeah, Ar Arnold, yeah. if you get a vaccine, brother, you need to make sure you take the cap off of that needle, okay? Yeah. No, I do agree with you on that. Um, but I also think part of it is in communities of color. The history with medical experiments, whether it's the syphilis trials or some of the others, there's a lot of hesitancy in communities of color because of the past history they've had where, oh, well, we're not going to treat this or we're going to give you that. I'll tell you about it. So that lack of trust over the decades, I think, has also affected whether people want to get it or not. For some people, they're concerned because they feel it was too rushed. You know, they, they thought it should have taken a little more time to be developed and tested. For me personally, I'm, I'm in my 60s. I have underlying health conditions and I work in a Petri dish, for God's sakes. So for me, it's almost like playing Russian roulette. Do I get it? Do I not get it? Uh, damned, well, if you, uh, damned if you don't. Have you heard about Merck Pharmaceuticals? You know Merck, right? The, uh, the pharmaceutical yes. giant. Yeah. OK. Mm -hmm. They came out last week and they publicly stated this. They said that uh, they were and they were working on two coronavirus vaccines for this particular uh, this particular rollout. And they said publicly last week that we're abandoning all this and we're not getting involved in it. They weren't doing the mRNA approach like a lot of these other companies are doing. Instead, Merck was doing the traditional vaccine route, which is they get the samples and then they cultivate and then they see what the effectiveness are of those samples uh, that they cultivate and then they administer them. Well, they said there's no point in any of this. We're essentially we're trying to vaccinate a common cold. You can't do that. I mean, that's what a common cold is at its base, it's a coronavirus, not this particular strain that we're seeing, but in its base, a common cold is a coronavirus. You can't vaccinate against a common cold because it mutates. That's the same thing with the flu. You can't vaccinate against the flu because it mutates every year. 
and they pick the four most dominant strains, and then they base that on the next year's flu shot. So what's the point? So Merck, I mean, Merck, and, and on top of that, I mean, I'm looking at this just from that standpoint alone. Forget everything else that I was mentioning, but just that standpoint alone. The traditional vaccine method, okay, the one that we've actually used for decades, they're saying there's no point in this. You have a, you stand a better chance of actually catching this thing and then getting on with your life. Now, here's a company that could have made hundreds of billions of dollars in the, I mean, the research money, the um, uh, the vaccination production, the rollout, and all the rest of it, and they would have been given liability protection, so they could never be sued on top of that. So, I mean, they, they could have made a lot of money to get on board with this agenda, and they chose not to. That's saying something, in my opinion. That's saying something. Correct. I, I, you are right on that, sir. I had not heard that before, so now I'm saying, again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's just, there's so much conflicting information, conflicting viewpoints. A lot of people just left scratching their heads going, uh, uh, I think that's for a lot of people, they're just they're stuck in a whirlpool and they don't see a way out. I don't know if that's a correct analogy or not, but do you guys understand what I'm trying to get across? Oh, 110%, because that's all we're seeing through all this is just nothing but confusion and contradiction. It's meant to keep you off balance, to keep you constantly confused and asking questions. And so you finally just look for that one way out. And that one way out is what they seem to be offering you. You know, it's, it's one of those where you're you're stuck somewhere and you're like, you know what, I just want it all to stop. And so I'll just do, just tell me what I need to do in order for this to stop. And that's where they yeah. want people. That That's exactly where they want people. Oh, I tell you what, let's uh, let's jump up to New York. All right. Let's talk about New York. You guys know Governor Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. The guy that killed all those people in the nursing. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, the guy that is the governor of New York. Yeah. You guys you guys know who I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, he's under fire now because of all those nursing home deaths. I noticed that the 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 Democrat Party starting to turn on him just a little bit for that. And the, now the New York is it Bruce, the New York attorney general is going after him for that as well. The nursing home deaths. Uh, yeah, that was one of the ones I think heading up the investigation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Andrew Cuomo. Now he's decided that, that since he's a, since he's a generous man, he's decided that he's going to reopen indoor dining despite now see, here's the funny thing. The, the COVID cases in New York right now are worse than when he banned indoor dining. So th- that's uh, again, yeah, that's it's kind of kind of a double standard here, isn't it? I mean, okay, well, we got to shut everything down because you know these cases, oh, they're just out of control, and now they're higher than what they were when he shut it down. He says, "Well, we got to reopen. We don't have a choice. We we got to reopen." So the governor, uh, the New York governor Andrew Cuomo, announced Friday that indoor dining can resume in New York City on Valentine's Day. Oh, see now, see on Sweetheart Day. See, he's so nice. Yeah, he's, he's so nice. Despite nearly every COVID metric being worse than when it was when he banned indoor dining in the first place. When he announced on December 11th that indoor dining would be banned in New York City, the seven-day average of COVID cases per 100,000 in the city was 40.2, according to the data from the New York Times. When he announced on January 29th that indoor dining could resume, the number was 66.1 to 64% higher Excuse me, 66.1, which was 64% higher than the average per capita counts in uh, case counts in December. Average hospitalizations per 100,000 also rose from December to January. All right, we're in the middle of flu season, which has been not even recorded this year, by the way. I, I might add, in all Western nations, we're not seeing any flu cases. There was a seven day average of 209 coronavirus hospitalizations for per 100,000 people on December 11th. 
and on January 28th, the seven-day average was 335 hospitalizations, according to the New York Times. Again, same metric. The seven-day average test positivity rate was 4% when the ban was announced, and 53 when it was announced that the ban would be lifted. Now, gentlemen, do we not see a game of politics being played out here? So what was going on December 11th? Okay, who was still in office in D.C. on December 11th? It wasn't Joe Biden. And New York was, I mean, their cases were out of control. They had to shut it all down. Well, here we are. The cases have doubled. The hospitalizations have doubled. And it's January 28th, but that's okay. There are guys in there. I'm just, I I hate playing party politics. I can't stand it. But I'm just looking at this as, as what it is, because a lot of people are saying that this is politics. Everything's politics, politically driven rather than science driven. Well, they'll beat you over the head all day with science based, science based, science based. But when you actually give them science and you give them facts and you sit down, you go through the books, you go through the numbers, you go through the reports, the receipts, all the rest of it, they don't want to hear it. But if it fits their political agenda, well, they don't care about anything else beyond that. Um, again, I for me, I'll have to go out on a limb and say, I have to agree with you on this, Johnny. I mean, it's a political shell game. Brown, put your money down. Oh, sorry, you lost this time. Let's try it again. Move the shells around. Where's the P? Oops. You know, to me, it's just a big shell game. Now, political purposes, political agenda, political opportunities. What's the facts, folks? You know, based, like you were saying, based on the science, why is it now we can open, but we couldn't open back then? I I just don't understand how they come to these decisions. Uh, I mean, personally, I think it's it's wholly political. Um, it, it's partly because Trump's no longer in office, uh, but it's also because um, they're starting to feel the heat. Um, people are, are starting to, well, I mean, he's lost how many millions in tax revenue because people left, you know, I New mean, York, I actually heard a story today that from somebody in New York and they're actually, they're in the process of selling what they got and they're packing up, they're moving to South Carolina and like they, they live in, they live in Manhattan and they're like, this is, this is crazy. The only people you see out in the streets are homeless people and drug addicts or a combination of the two. If, if they're a homeless drug addict, that's all you see roaming the streets. You don't see people out there shopping. There's nothing open. Fifth Avenue in New York. Tavis, you've been to Fifth Avenue, New York. I, I've been to Fifth Avenue, New York. That's bustling with people, yes. usually. It's a ghost town. Everything's boarded up. Everything's closed. It, it's like that across America. You know, your downtowns are, are basically ghost towns. I mean, you may see people out walking around just because they want to get out of the house. But in terms of businesses, there's hardly anything open. For us, it's basically pharmacies, supermarkets. Uh, there are some small businesses like auto repair, things like that. But your, your shopping malls, your, your big stores, no, they're shut down. Most everything's open over here. So, yeah, but you guys are crazy conspiracy theorists down there. I mean, you know, you, you, just sort of, <laughs> you guys just want to kill people down there. You crazy Southerners, yeah. man, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I've actually heard that um, when, when you get into like the uh, representative, senator and governor, uh, you know, those specific races, uh, a Democrat has not won one county in Oklahoma. It's since that bad. Not even Tulsa. So that, that's that it's that bad. Yeah. Not even Tulsa. Not Tulsa or not even Tulsa or Oklahoma City. Yeah. Wow. And both of that's, those are. <laughs> yeah. Th- those are blue yeah. cities. I'm like, wow, they can't yeah. even win those. That's pretty bad. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys do you guys want to get into schools or not? I mean, we do you want to talk about the school thing uh, about the um, did, did you have something? I, on I that? mean, we were kind of talking about it I, before. I, I do kind of have a little bit of something on that in that um, we're, we're seeing um, states uh, the governor's saying, okay, it's time for schools to go back into in-person learning. Like uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, she was saying, um, you know, we need to open up. 
And the unions, the school unions said, uh, or teachers union said, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going back. And she caved the next day. Um, they're doing the like, same thing. Okay, I was, you know, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Oh, yeah, it's cute. Yeah, keep the kids out of school, you idiots. They're doing the same thing in California. They're doing the same thing in the state of Washington. They're doing the same thing in Oregon, I believe. They're doing it in, well, it seems to be all these blue states. I don't know why. Well, I, I really don't know why. The unions, though, they're they're for the safety of the kids, you see. It's right. for the betterment of the kids, right? It's a, uh, no, we have, um, we've talked about it before, uh, suicide rates, um, depression rates, hell, just kids' grades. Just those metrics are horrible right now. I mean, we're seeing more suicides. We're seeing more um, uh, depression and anxiety among our younger generations that should be in schools. They're having difficulties with um, social interactions, which could be partly because of you know, everything going digital nowadays and, and, you know, but at the same time, having them in school, you, you have that learning experience, uh, you know, with your peers and some students, they don't learn well on, on new computers. You know, I, I mean, you need that in-person hands-on learning. Social uh, exactly. Yeah. And this is destroying many of the kids most. Okay. So uh, some of the research and study I, I've done when it comes to like personalities and stuff, majority of people are extroverts, which means they need social interaction. If those types of people do not have social interaction, you have depression, anxiety, they have mental issues. And, you know, you, you have to open the schools up for those types of those types of people need that interaction. They it, it's it's like uh, charges their batteries as well, if you will. So. Having these teachers unions say we're going to shut things, you know, we're not going to we're not going to open it up until we get we we get the jab ourselves. Um, I'm sorry, the CDC has come out and said uh, no, actually, it's safe for teachers to go in. The transmission rates among uh, kids to adults or kids to kids is so low, um, there is no risk, uh, or the risk is minimal for you to get uh, corona from a uh, from kids. So. Why, why, why are things closed down? Oh, but uh, the, the press, um, the, the White House press secretary says uh, the CDC hasn't officially said that's, to go back to that's school. crap. That's crap. I got the quote right here from the director for the U.S. CDC right here herself, Rochelle Walensky. She says vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. She said that she said that she said that during a White House COVID-19 briefing on Wednesday. That's when she said it. So Jeffrey uh, Zaints or Zaints, whatever the hell his name is, uh, uh, the COVID-19 coordinator, or excuse me, the COVID-19 response coordinator reiterated President Biden's strong desire to reopen schools. Now, his quote was, that means that every school has the equipment and resources to open safely, not just private schools or schools in wealthy areas, but all schools. And that's why we need the American Rescue Plan Pact and whatever. Okay, promoting some some plan. Okay, whatever. That's all. That's the two trillion dollar thing. That's a that's a starting yeah. point. The negotiation. Okay, I yeah. see what they're trying to do here. Yeah. But okay, so. I would argue, again, this is where you can place some blame on Fauci, because that statement was made. The 200 page plan was put out later on that afternoon. Fauci comes out and says, well, we got no, we can't reopen until we vaccinate all the kids. 
that that's okay so you just contradicted everything so you're the one throwing the wrench in the works okay that that's the scumbag right there that's throwing the wrench in the works keeping these kids out of school they've come out they've made the statement you don't need vaccinations for teachers you don't need vaccinations for kids to reopen these schools open them open them and we're also having uh the teachers unions are also trying to uh i believe i'm I think we've mentioned it before in California, they were trying to get things like private schools or um, schools with any kind of religious affiliation to be shut down, essentially, and only public schools to be available. Yeah. And that's one of the problems right there is is the uh, the, the teachers unions. You know, I'm, I'm not a union buster. OK, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not a union buster. I'm not against unions at all. I mean, I, I know a lot of people. Hell, one of the guys that's a union worker is in this podcast with us tonight. I, I'm not I'm not against that. But what at least I think you are, aren't you, Tavish? Yes. Yeah, okay, correct, sir. Yeah, OK. But my, my point is, is that these these unions, right? I, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go in. You're going to have to get these kids back in school. There's no since the start of this thing. And I've I've talked to parents that have kids that are the, having to homeschool their kids, teach their kids and all that stuff. And they don't have time to do it. And they say, we've got to get these kids back at school. There's no evidence. There's no data to suggest from the start of this thing to show that the schools were any kind of a problem. And we've had them out for a year now. You're going to have them out for another year and then another year and another year. As Bruce said, the, the, the youth suicide rates are completely off the chart. Las Vegas, OK, Las Vegas, they were forced to reopen the schools because the child suicide rate was so high. The youth suicide rate was so high. They were forced. They didn't care about the. It wasn't just Vegas. It was, was it not Nevada just Vegas? State. Oh, Nevada is a state. OK, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was just Vegas. I, OK, I stand corrected. It's a good catch. But uh, yeah, anyway. OK. D- OK. Unions. Uh, Tavish, I'll, I'll bring you in on this one. D- unions, your thought of the, the teachers unions keeping this. I mean, th- there's your problem right there. And as I said, I'm not a union buster at all. I, I'm not I'm not against unions. But the teachers union keeping the kids out of school. We can't be doing that anymore. Sorry. No, you have a very valid point, sir. Unions have their place, but they are not the end all and be all cure for everything. Um, unions in certain ways can be a hindrance rather than a benefit. So I do agree with you on that. And one segment of the child population that has been overlooked, I feel, special needs students who need that routine, who need that daily interaction, they're falling apart like there's no tomorrow. And it's the, what about the parents who are stuck at home with, you know, whether it's autism or anything else? These kids really need to get back into school for that routine because it gives them continuity. It gives that um, that base that keeps them going. Because um, I've, I've seen studies where a lot of the kids, they're just out of control at home because that daily connection or daily routine is gone. You know, and and they, they don't know what to do. They can't handle it. And as a side effect, the parents... Like you were saying earlier, the alcoholism, things like that, abuse rates are going up through the roof. So I do agree. Kids need to get back in school ASAP. There is no doubt about that. As far as the unions, I can understand to a certain degree because for the majority of teachers, I believe they are of the older age. But school's got to open. You know, that, that, that's the end of the story. At least to me, they got to open. Yeah, I, I pose the question, um, are, are you for firing teachers when they're a part of a union, when the union says, um, we're not going back to, uh, we're not going back to work, even though all the science and everything says it's safe to return back to work. Personally, I, I, I take the uh, Ronald Reagan approach and um, I would be a little bit cowboyish, 
shall we say. And uh, either you go back to work or you're fired. You know, uh, Tavish, you you and I have brought up the point before. And actually, you were the one that brought this to my attention. Uh, you, you've mentioned you've mentioned Ronald Reagan and uh, the, the the case with Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, how they sit down and they drank a beer together. Well, this is a perfect case yes. of what Ronald Reagan did from what Bruce just posed. And being a union guy, what are your thoughts on firing people that don't uh, that, that don't want to return to work? So, I mean, I, I see your point. I see your point on some of the teachers that are are in that vulnerable range. I, I get it, right? I can understand that. But uh, if you're going to, you know, stick together as a whole and say, no, sorry, we're not going to reopen. I mean, I'm looking at some of these other teachers that are in areas like Illinois, the state of Washington, California. These are younger teachers, right, in their 20s and 30s. And so they're not in a high risk category. And they're saying, no, we're not going back. What are your thoughts on that? Should you should the unions fire the teachers? Well, first of all, I would ask, is it the union leadership that's saying the teachers aren't going back or is it the teachers telling the union? If it's the union leadership, then I think you should start with them first before you go after the teachers. If the union it's, leaders uh, are saying, well, the teachers are going back, to me, that the lays the blame at the doorstep of the union leaders. And I hate saying that being a union member for most of my life, but like I said, unions do an awful lot of good, but they can also be a hindrance. And I think in this particular case, the leadership is digging their heels in. Now, again, you have conflicting information, data, science, but it, it literally comes down to what's in the best interest of the kids. And that should be the over overlying or overdriving mission here. Get the kids back to school. Like you were saying, the, the, the rates of suicide, depression, so on and so forth. We can't let this go on for another year, two years, whatever. we got to get the kids back. And if the union leadership is digging their heels in, time to get a new leadership. Now, if it's the teachers... That's a whole new ball of wax, because with Reagan and the air traffic controllers, those were federal employees. Teachers are municipal employees, I believe. So that varies from town to town. Also, what's the language in the union contract in terms of termination? Because in a legal sense, you can open up a can of worms that could take years to resolve through the courts. So for me, personally, I say time to you know bring the union leadership to the table and say, hey, this or the highway, what's your choice? As unions are concerned as a whole, I'm kind of torn on whether I like them or not. And here, here's the thing. When corporations are problematic, you know, they're, they're being a pain. That's when you need unions to, to balance that out. Amazon. Yeah. But what happens when the unions are, are the problem? How do you balance that? I mean, I don't know. It's just part of me as, as like a business owner. Look, I'm going to hire and fire it based on your merit union or no union. You know, that that that's kind of the, the the way I see it. You know, it's my business. You're not producing adequately enough. See you later. I do agree with you on that, Bruce, because I have seen cases where unions protect dead weight. Uh, I understand the argument that, oh, we have to have these policies to protect our union members. But if you're not pulling your own weight, if you're not getting the job done, then there's no reason why the union should be protecting you. If you're dead weight, you got to move it or lose it. But on the other hand, I've seen Cases where I've been involved in where if it wasn't for the union, safety violations, things like that, because of the union, those were addressed in a timely and satisfactory uh, manner. So in some cases, yes, unions are wonderful. In other cases, unions protected weight or they can slow progress. And I believe that's the example we have here with the union leadership saying, all right, you guys, we're going to tell them this is what we're going to do. And if you're in a union, you're more or less going to follow what the union leadership says. So in this case, that's why I say get the union leadership to the table and say, hey, we got to open up or it's the highway for you. 
Well, that's a that's a valid point. I mean, yes, you want to get them to the table, but here here's the other problem. So I, I guess in this scenario, because you've got multiple states involved here, I guess this is where you would bring in the uh, the labor secretary. I guess this is that would be the liaison between the administration and the and the labor unions. Is that correct? Labor secretary or the National Labor Relations Board. Okay. Popped All right. in my so, mind. So okay. So yeah. You, okay. So you'd have those, and I think Bernie was up for the labor uh, the, the labor secretary job, but that's. Obviously, if you get rid of Bernie in the Senate, then you'll probably have to that like the governor would have to appoint and then they would caucus with the GOP. You'd lose the majority in the Senate. You can't do that. So that wouldn't happen. Bernie was out from the labor secretary. Who's the labor secretary? It's probably somebody, again, from this all star team that we've never heard of. But that's who you'd want to bring in. Who is it? Marty. I believe uh, Marty Walsh, Marty. mayor of Boston. Is he really? OK, he tapped him for the, yes. the labor secretary. OK, all right. Interesting. Because uh, Governor I, Raimondo of Rhode Island is the Commerce Secretary appointee. Interesting. Or nominee, okay, that, I should say. All right. That I didn't know. That I didn't know. OK, so he OK, so he's your he's your mayor. What do you know about him? Uh, he started out with unions, uh, was a union advocate, union official. However, uh I guess for lack of a better word, I could say he's mellowed over the years since he's been mayor. He has gone from a staunch union only to a more middle of the road approach where, yeah, unions can be helpful, but they are not the end all be all cure. There's other ways to do things. So at least from what I have seen, uh, Mayor Walsh has kind of mellowed on being such a staunch union advocate. My way or the highway where now he's more middle of the road and there's other approaches besides just the union. So to me, I think. It, it, it's a good middle of the road appointment. We'll have to wait and see. But he did get his start with unions, and that's given some people pause in terms of uh, the Senate uh, about confirmation because of his record as a union member, union advocate, so on and so forth. But he has mellowed over the years since he's been mayor of Boston. So I would still let him say, hey, give him a shot. You know, I don't think he's going to be the union's only person that they make him out to be. But I also don't think he's going to be a union buster. I, I don't know if that's a, a good analogy. Now, if you're but if you're gonna, if you're the point. Biden yeah if you're the Biden administration you're not going to put somebody as a labor secretary that is a union posture. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, unions are like as a group. Unions are one of the biggest Democrat donors. So. You know, of course you can't bust unions. No, of course not. And the thing that I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys want to get into this, but I mean, the administration. And let's be fair here. Right? I, I'm I'm calling a spade a spade. The administration, the current administration, is not a friend to unions. Look what they did to Keystone. Look what they did to Keystone. Look how many people they put out of a job. I know people personally. I'm not going to say any more than that, that we're going to be working on that job, that we're hoping to have that job to carry them to retirement. And now they don't know what they're going to do. And we've seen countless videos of people that were on there. And all of a sudden, by the stroke of a pen, they're now out of a job. And they're probably going to lose their house and they're going to have to sell all their assets because they don't know where they're going to make any money. You've got people that depend on this kind of stuff. And these people that live in these ivory towers just don't, like they're completely disconnected from from all reality of what happens down at the grassroots and, and how people feed their families. And so I hear all day about, you know, the Democrat Party is, you know, we're the party of, of workers. We're the party of working families and we care about American jobs and this and that. But then you turn around and you you stomp on them, you stomp on them. And then the unions, the unions still turn around and they support like they're the biggest donors of the party that that cuts their jobs off. I don't understand that. I, I just I've never understood that. It's like the average union guy. And I mean, I, I know a, a lot of union workers, a lot of them. You know, I come from a union, uh, a, fa a union family. OK, I'll just leave it at that. And I know a lot of people we go to union picnics and all the rest of that. I mean, these are good people. 
These are good people, good, hardworking, blue collar workers, and they mean well. But yet when you vote for like uh, that particular group of people that claim to represent you and then everything falls apart, then you get all sad and upset and you say, what happened? Well, by the time that policy goes into effect, the next guy's in there, then you can blame that. So I'm, I'm tired of the blame game. I'm tired of people losing their livelihoods over these ridiculous political decisions. And now you've got the kids mixed up in it, right, with the school nonsense. And so you've got multiple states that are involved here. So it's not just one localized thing. It's not just um, Illinois, uh, Illinois public schools or California public schools or, you know, whatever. It's now multiple unions all across the country. So I, I agree with you, Tavis. You're going to have to bring in... Uh, all these all these people. And it's just it's it's really it's really disgusting because in my personal opinion, because you've got all this bickering and all this political garbage that's going to go on. And the real ones that suffer in all this are the kids. Exactly. They're the ones who are suffering. They have no voice at the table. Teachers, to a certain extent, they're beholden or held hostage by the leadership. And again, I'm a union guy, so don't get me the wrong way on this. When we look at it, are teachers employees of the state or they own employees of the school district where they teach. That's what I'm not sure about. So basically, in a, in a nutshell, they're employed by local districts. And then the districts obviously get their taxes from uh, property tax, or, or excuse me, the, the funding from property taxes. So technically, they're local government. You know, that's a that's a good point right there. Kids have been out of school. So does that mean we should not be paying property taxes and we should be reimbursed for property taxes for the last 12 months? It's a good I point. I mean, if you, have, if you have kids and you're having to uh, learn at home, that money should be following the student, right? It should be following the yeah. kid. And that's the other thing that I've heard uh, when, you, when you get into arguments about that, uh, homeschooling uh, or even private schools, the, the money that's uh, some of the private schools aren't funded by state, that money should follow the student. And if you decide to homeschool, well, that should go to back to the family. You know, that's uh, it's a good chunk of money that'll help the family pay for the, the students' uh, education. Yeah. And, you know, we could go into that whole thing about, you know, we get down into like property taxes and all that stuff. But I mean, I've I've heard several arguments over the years, that being one of them. And I've also heard that uh, if you don't have kids in the school system, then you shouldn't have to pay the property tax that goes to the school district. I, I've heard that argument, too. I know people that haven't had kids in the local school system for 50 years, yet they're still paying property taxes for a school district that they don't have any kids. in. I mean, like I said, that's a conversation probably for another day. But uh, anyway. All right. Let's switch up. Let's move over to um, the person who I believe is partially responsible for keeping all of this school shut down. And quite frankly, for most of this stuff that we've been seeing over the last 12 months anyway. And that is the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci. Everybody knows what an all star this guy is. He's never met a single TV camera he hasn't loved. GQ magazine made him uh, the sexiest man of the year or something like that. I, I don't know. Uh, he was sitting out there in front of his or next to his pool with his nice, expensive wristwatch on and his Gucci shoes. Oh, it was disgusting. But now, now he's going full Hollywood now. OK, he's going full Hollywood. National Geographic is giving Dr. Anthony Fauci the Hollywood treatment in a new documentary that's going to praise him as a hero, as a hero. You hear this? Here's the guy that actually funded the gain-of-function research and made sure that it was transferred to the Chinese into that lab that we're dealing with now. And he's a hero. This guy's a hero. You hear this? So he's going to add Hollywood star to his list of credentials thanks to a new documentary from Disney's Nat Geo that will explore 
the career of the physician-turned-media darling who became the country's anointed authority on the COVID pandemic. You hear this? I mean, you hear the level of this propaganda. <laughs> this is just like you couldn't you couldn't come up with something like this unless you were dealing with probably the most sophisticated propaganda department known to exist in modern society. Right. This is this is high quality stuff. The way that they're touting this stuff. National Geographic documentary films announced Monday that they will direct a documentary entitled Fauci. I, I'm looking forward to watching this, actually. A documentary feature that will trace the doctor's career. Doctor, you hear this? Man hasn't seen a patient in two decades. Trace the doctor's career through seven presidential administrations and explore his role as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He's not actually the director of the NIH. He's actually the director of that particular department. That's really all that it is. Uh, which, uh, okay, fair enough. But how does a man such as him, or, or anybody for that matter, how does a man, by the way, he's the highest paid federal employee in the country. He makes more money than the president of the United States. He gets a higher salary than the president of the U.S. And that's not including all the deals he has with, say, like pharmaceutical companies or however much he gets paid to sit on the board of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or, or whatever that is, if they even get paid. I don't know. I don't know. Or how much he gets Question. paid to speak. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when do we have an election to elect the next NIH director or CDC director? Do you know when those elections are? Uh, well, we don't have those uh, because, uh, yeah, uh, that's I mean, he's been in there for 40 uh, years. For, do you hear what I just said? 40 years he's been in that position, that same position. If you're in that position or any government position for that long. Now, I have to give it to him. That is a long time to have tenure in a government position. OK, 40 years. If you're in a position like that for four decades, you are not a doctor, sir. You're a politician because you play the political game. And I have to admit, regardless of all the other things that I'm sitting here talking about Fauci, that's a smart guy. Politically, that's a smart guy. Now, he goes on TV and he flip flops every other day, right? Or every three or four hours, whatever he feels like that morning. That part, okay, you can excuse. But as far as the political game, you don't stay in that position like that for four decades if you don't know how to play the game. And he knows how to play the game. In fact, he's probably one of the masters of the game. They haven't announced a release date for this Disney owned studio that's going to drop, but there is a trailer out there for it. There's a trailer out there for it. Uh, and I don't know. Do you, do you want me to play a little clip of it? Maybe I, I haven't heard it yet. Actually, I'm, I'm surprised that I, I didn't realize National Ge Geographic was Disney. Uh, I, I didn't I'm, either. I, I know that they were woke, but mm. I, I didn't know that they were involved with Disney. Uh, this film yeah. will be an unprecedented, intimate mm. portrait of our nation's greatest public servant whose relentless pursuit of the truth and devotion to science <laughs> has never been more important. The film director said that in a statement, in a public statement. Public relations fluff. Yeah, that's Propaganda. what it is. But my question is, is he a political appointee or is he civil service? Like you said, to play the game like that through multiple administrations of both Democrat and Republican. I give him credit for survivability and longevity. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, he knows how to play the game. But I'm curious, is his position a political appointment or is it civil service? It's political appointment, I'm pretty sure, because we tried to figure this out one at one point in time. He's not actually the director of the NIH. He's a director of a department of the NIH, of the Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Yeah. That particular department, I think, Bruce, you looked into this. So the president appoints the director of the NIH as an organization itself. And then yeah. the director of the NIH appoints the department heads. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So he would be uh, appointed by whoever the department head was 40 years ago. Does that answer your question? Close. 
close. I'd, I'd, I'd have to dig into it more myself because I know with civil service, once you get in, it's like a union. It's very tough to get rid of someone. But in his case, I can't argue the point. He knows how to play the game. He's been through multiple administrations on both sides of the political spectrum. So if nothing else, I got to give him, you know, he's got cojones for political savvy. Definitely. Like I said, he's he's got a he's got a few things on here. So, I mean, they're they're building this propaganda up like he's never been wrong. He can never do any wrong. And that's what it was in the beginning. I mean, they had everything of this guy. He was on the OK, I was wrong. It wasn't GQ magazine. It was in style magazine. Excuse me. Excuse me. I was wrong. I've never even heard of in style magazine. I, I haven't either. It's probably some rag. But they put him on the cover of People magazine. And he was 2020's people. Uh, excuse me. He was named uh, 2020's people of the year or something he was part of that part of that issue or or whatever so uh yeah he's he's been that one but see he's also had a lot of double speak going on so early on he was telling people that you shouldn't wear a mask i mean they were ineffective at stopping the virus and then of course he later changed his position to saying that masks work and then recently he said well uh you should use two masks because that's just common sense and saying that two masks are more effective than one but then later on, a couple of days, literally a couple of days later, he says, there's no data that indicates that wearing two masks is going to make a difference. We've played all those clips here. I can pull them if we need to. Since Trump's left the White House, though, I mean, Fauci's kind of crept back in, right? He's he's up there now. And not only is he, he's this guy's holding two positions at the same time. Have you noticed that? Has anybody even called that out? He's holding two positions. He's holding not only the director of the National Institute of Health and Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He's not just holding that position. He's also the official liaison between the Biden administration and the World Health Organization, of which Biden got us back into. Thank God he did that. Thank God. Uh, it was almost too late. You know, <laughs> it's almost too late to be pulled out of that organization. They're in Wuhan today, actually, the World Health Organization, if anybody was wondering. They're at the Wuhan lab. And they say that they're getting very straight answers from the Chinese Communist Party at the Wuhan lab. So I'm sure that we're going to get a really accurate report uh, on the other side of that. He's also on the board for Bill Gates, one of his organizations as well. His foundation, actually, his mm -hmm. actual foundation. He sits on the board of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Not to mention the fact he also has big investments in the company that made Remdesivir. And God only knows how much he gets paid for speaking arrangements when he goes and gives these speeches at these dinners uh, or speaks at, I don't know, say, for example, universities or something like that. Or if he's involved with pharmaceutical companies, as far as like vaccine manufacturers, no one knows that, right? No one knows that. So, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't trust the guy. I mean, I made my intentions on him clear when we started the podcast tonight. I don't trust this guy at all. And when it comes to his involvement in everything that's been revealed with COVID thus far, this man, as far as I'm concerned, and he's not single-handedly, right? He's not doing this on his own, but it, he is one of the main individuals that are responsible for this entire thing. The reason we have it in the first place. This man shouldn't be running anything. As I said, he should be sitting behind a glass wall in a prison cell. He's flip-flopping every other day and he's he's saying, well, we can get back to normal. But then he's out today. He's literally out today saying four hours ago, he's literally saying we're still too far away from anything close to what we know is normal. But yet last week he said, yeah, we're almost out of it. Case numbers are dropping and all that stuff. But now he says four hours ago, we're still far away from ever returning to normal. So it's just it's more flip flopping. It's just more. I, I'm sick of him. Right. I'm, I'm just sick of him. We, we, we could book Fauci for the show if you wanted for. Really? Low, okay, low fine. Price, 30 grand. Oh, 30,000. What does that get us? 20 minutes? Uh, well, that's uh, just his fee range. And 30 grand is uh, part of the range. So it doesn't say how long. It just says uh, 
They'll do speaking engagements up to thirty grand. Thirty thousand dollars to get this fool up there to to speak. Okay. Do you guys want to spend the last few minutes here on uh, on uh, AOC? So yesterday we talked a little bit about AOC and how she was not in the Capitol at the day of the riot, and she is she's all over Instagram and and all these these other platforms talking about how she almost died and she's felt, what was the latest when she felt sexually assaulted she's she's a certain mm-hmm. sexual assault survivor and and all that CNN literally CNN it came out 24 hours ago that she was a liar and everything with the capital it came out 24 hours ago that she was a liar and all of that actually it was it's been over that it's been like 20 26 28 28 hours ago 18 hours ago CNN puts out an op-ed piece talking about Cortez's brutal truth of what happened on the day of the Capitol riots, how she's coming forward to describe what it was like inside the building and hiding and fearing for her life. She wasn't even in the same building. Now, CNN should have squashed this piece. They should have squashed it, but but they didn't. They ran it anyway. She got caught putting this stuff out. Okay, so she she got caught. And last night after we went off the air, I, I I was laughing my ass off last night because everybody remembers Jesse Smollett back during the uh, uh, the Trump thing, you know, the actor from the TV show Empire. And he Chicago. faked the whole thing. Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, he faked the whole thing. And it, it became this big, uh, overblown, whatever, th- this hoax and whatever. And the media says, well, we got to believe him. We got to believe him. And it turned the whole thing turned out to be a lie. Well, Cortez, the same things happened here. She got found out. And so last night on Twitter, the top trend was Alexandria Ocasio Smollett. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, so you can't her office. No, you couldn't make it up. So her office, and I just so happen to have the letter right here. Her office put out a state, and uh, they are they're quite concerned about uh, about what happened. They've released an official statement. They say, Bruce, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Yeah, you're sitting down. Are you ready for this? Right. This is the statement. Her the statement from her office. Are you ready for this? As we speak, right-wing operatives with millions of followers on social media are spreading flat-out lies and misinformation about Alexandria. But with your help, we can force Twitter and Facebook to take action and enforce their own rules. What's so frustrating about these attacks is that once the truth comes out, so few people will get to hear it. Hundreds of thousands or potentially millions of people will have already seen or already shared the misleading tweets or fake news articles. We need your help, and here's what you can do to help us combat this campaign of disinformation and others in the future. Now, they give a list here of of things that you can do to help. Okay. Scan your social media to find posts with this misleading information, especially those using the trending hashtag. Don't tweet any hashtags yourself because we don't want to spread them further. Okay, that's the first thing you should do. Okay. Now, this... This is if someone's spreading the disinformation, you see, spreading the, the extremist ideology across the web like that. Number two, identify any posts that are threatening or harassing and use the built-in report features to flag them for moderators. Facebook and Twitter both have built-in tools for reporting posts and tweets that break the rules. Now, see, the, they go on here to say the sad thing is that a lot of damage has already been done. That's in bold letters, by the way. A lot of damage here has already been done. People have already been misled and radicalized. They believe the lies to a point where their hatred could someday boil over into violence. 
This is exactly what led to thousands of enraged rioters storming the Capitol building on January 6th. <laughs> thousands. Yeah, thousands. But we can do something about it. We can help set the record straight when people spread falsehoods. We can keep calling out those Photoshop tweets, fake news articles, and misleading posts when we see them. So if you can, help us scan social media tonight and report those spreading this disinformation campaign. Thank you for all that you do. Sincerely, Team AOC. You talk about propaganda and getting caught with your pants down. That is just that that is just unbelievable. That is next level. So here's a congresswoman who gets caught flat out and she's out there and she's she's lying to the world. She she's placating on people's ignorance. The woman wasn't even in the building. She wasn't even in the building. And then she has the audacity to come out and talk about how she's a a, a sexual assault survivor because of it. And then her office puts out a statement like that. And now to make matters worse, to make matters worse, now she's attacking the congresswoman who ratted her out during that day. Now she's been this. Of course, she's she's part of she's part of all this. Her office, as I said, wasn't even in the Capitol building. The woman that was two offices down from her, Representative Nancy Mace, she said she put out on Twitter. She says, look, you know, they didn't even come down here. We're not even in the same building. <laughs> what what are you doing out there telling these lies between you and the mainstream media? Is there a level you won't stoop to? So she pointed that out on Twitter. OK, so Cortez tweeted back on that. And she said, this is a listen to this. This is a deeply cynical and disgusting attack. And she tweeted at Nancy Mace as the Capitol complex was stormed and people were being killed. None of us knew in the moment what areas were compromised. You previously told reporters yourself that you barricaded in your office afraid you'd be hurt. She go, she responds to that. Representative Mace responds to that. And she says, I have not once discounted your fear. We were all terrified that day. I'm stating the fact that insurrectionists were never in our hallway because they weren't. I deal in facts, unlike you, apparently. <laughs> so first, uh, I was going over the uh, CNN political article talking about uh, AOC's uh, horrible experience. And the point where she was, uh, you know, leaving the, the, the building she was in as she was hiding behind the door in the uh, bathrooms and it ended up being a police officer, Capitol police officer at, um, was there to escort her to another building. Instead, she and her aide grabbed their purses and ran unescorted CNN mentions. I mean, when you run from the officer, okay. And then they realized, well, they didn't tell us where to go in this building. They just well, she was told in, us- She was in fear of the officer. She didn't know if the officer yeah. was going to do her harm. Right, right. So she gets to the other uh, complex and they're going around banging on doors trying to see if anybody, you know, would let them in their office. And then they find a- um, representative that was walking down the hall with a cup of coffee. <laughs> now, the fact that this rep was walking down the hall with a cup of coffee really puts a point to how dangerous the situation was here. And uh, that's when they went into the office and shut the door and it changed, in, so it changed into some casual clothes. So they didn't look like, you know, they, they were so they could blend in better. That's what she says. This is a bunch of political nonsense. She was using a opportunity, you know, they're trying to milk this for as much as they can to get as much political capital, if you will, as they can. And uh, it just happened to backfire trying to play the uh, uh, victim card like uh, many Democrats do nowadays, it seems, especially in my generation. I'm glad it backfired the way it did. Honestly, I'm glad the truth is coming out. I'm glad in a sense, I'm glad that these lines are being drawn 
because now we know where everybody stands. We know who believes in the Constitution and who doesn't. So in this sense, I'm glad she was uh, exposed and the truth came out. I'm sorry. I have a big issue with her comparing what she went through to victims of sexual violence. That is unforgivable. I know victims. I have family members who are victims. And that is just unforgivable in my book. I was never a fan of hers to begin with. But this, I'm sorry, if they want to censure the, I believe, Senator Green or Representative Green, the other woman, because of QAnon, then they have to censor AOC. I, I really see no difference between the two. Well, I mean, the the difference in the in the the two is that Green believed in conspiracy theories and didn't actually compare anything like sexual assault victims to being scared in a bathroom when rioters were at a a, a different building. But I agree. If if uh, you're going to censure um, Green, then you need to one exactly fair and equal. That's the only level playing field. No preferences. You cross the line, hit your knuckles. You know. <laughs> But isn't being censured, isn't that, isn't that done from the state that you, you're representing? Isn't that the, the ones that censure you? So I don't see AOC getting censured. Well, uh, each body of the House and the Senate, they can censure their members. Oh, okay. So like the Repu Republican Party could censure one of their party members. Okay, I see. It basically comes to a vote of the body. And if it's a recall, that is the state level. The state has to do the recall election. But to censure each body, whether it's the Senate or the House, has the ability to vote to censure members. Which is literally just a slap on the wrist, right? It's like you get a note in your permanent record. Yeah. Johnny was a bad boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm up here every day and I haven't been censured yet. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Until you said that, I didn't make the connect. I'm like, oh, yeah, geez, yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, it couldn't, it couldn't, uh, it couldn't be a recall effort because that would just, I mean, like that, that wouldn't do anything. But we covered this a couple of days ago. I was talking about it with um, uh, Chuck Schumer in New York. So, uh, right. Everybody knows that New York is, that's, that's, that's Schumer's territory, right? You don't cut in on Schumer's territory. And Schumer still got in. I'm sure he's he'll tell you the same. He's probably got a lot of years left in him up there on the hill if he has any say over it. He's talking now and he's working some deals now with a lot of progressive donors because of the mass exodus in New York of all the people that have moved out because of COVID. Now you don't have the population up there to back it. AOC only won by 4000 votes in that district. Schumer has got the progressives up there on. I mean, he's got he's got tenure. He's got clout. He's the Senate majority leader. So they're going to back him, of course. The progressive donors, of course, they're going to back him. If he calls for the party to do a redistricting, uh, re uh, redraw the district lines in New York, she'll be out of a job. There won't be a seat for her. Good. I, I was going to say, is there any? Is anybody going to say, you know, that's that's terrible? I mean, is that is that a horrible thing? Or, <laughs> I mean, I can't argue your point, sir. In, in I, I, I'll be honest. I won't cry if she leaves. Okay. All right. I mean, now she's going to have. I was going to say she'd have to go back to her former job tending bar, but she can't. Right? Bars are closed. That's true. Oh, so, mm. sorry to disappoint you, sir, but I I won't cry any tears if she goes out the door. Yeah, I, I was I never a fan of hers to begin with. Just seemed like too much of a firebrand, a, a potster. I just didn't really see any solidity to her views. They they kind of shifted. You know, it's like you wet your fingers, stick it up to see which way the wind's blowing. That is true. Okay. Um, anything else either one of you would like to talk on this evening? We're about out of time here. Is there anything else either one of you uh, have? I'm good. All right. It's been a fantastic conversation, gentlemen. Uh, it's always appreciated. Great having you on again, Tavish. I hope you're doing well up there. Thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure talking to you, gentlemen. 
gets an intellectual discourse going and hey, opens my eyes to new viewpoints, new information. That's what I like about this. We can agree to disagree, but at least, hey, I get to see what viewpoints or knowledge you have and like mull it over and hey, can I use this? Is it good? You know, and that's my personal decision, but at least I'm exposed to those ideas or that knowledge. Well, that's very kind of you to say, sir, but we're just uh, we're just average guys, right? We, <laughs> we're not, uh, we're not What's journalists. What's wrong with we're that? Not, well, we're not media people, none, none of that stuff. I mean, we just, we do our own research and we sit up here and we talk about it. That's all. And these are the people I respect for, you know, for what you're doing. I don't want to so, sit down and talk to Bill Gates or whoever. I want to talk to Joe Average. That's who I am. That's who I relate to. And that's who I talk to. I don't have to, you know, like, which fork do I use or do I put my pinky in the air when I pick up my teacup? Hey, I'm just average Joe. Let me hear what you have to say. Let's talk about it. You mean I'm not supposed to raise my pinky with my teacup when I take a drink of it? I don't know. That's that's worried me for years. That's why I don't drink tea. I drink coffee. Yeah, well, we had kind of a yeah, we had kind of a problem with uh, with Boston and some tea. I don't know what it was. Uh, a couple hundred years ago, <laughs> some, something happened there. Yeah, it was big war came of it, and yeah, it was just a mess. So I mean, yeah, that's how Dunkin' Donuts got started. Uh huh. Yeah, that's right. All right, um, we are going to have to go. We are out of time this evening, but fascinating conversation as always. We would normally plug our socials, but due to circumstances beyond our control. And you know something? Parlor might not be back. I was hearing a couple of days ago that it might be back, but apparently it might not be back. John Mates, the CEO, was fired yesterday. So it's hard to say what the future of that platform is going to be, uh, if anything at all. Uh, or it could come back. It could come back heavily censured. We don't know. The The board has said they are going to come back. They are working to come back and it will remain a free speech bastion. So I hope so. I hope so. I hope that's the way it goes. But anyway, in the meantime, we are promoting our Telegram channel. So for those of you who would like to, please jump over onto Telegram. Telegram is a fantastic platform. Not only is it great for keeping in touch with other people, phone calls, video calls, such things like that. It's also a social networking platform where you can connect to channels. You can get in on group chats voice chats with thousands of people and uh, you can bounce your ideas and your views off of other people and you can keep up on your favorite news sites that have either been ostracized or banned in other places. So, I mean, uh, it's a great platform for that. So when you get over there and you get registered, give us a look up. You can search for Dynamic Independence where public channel will pop right up. Click join and you will get not only all of our podcasts that we're putting out on our normal platforms every day, you're also going to get an exclusive podcast, which Bruce and I will be on tomorrow. And so if you want that extra content, if you want those uh, deep-seated conversations without all those pesky censors, then um, join us on our exclusive once a week. But that's only available to our Telegram subscribers. And I know we've gotten a lot of new subscribers over on Telegram. Thank you all very much for that. We, we appreciate that. Welcome to all of you. We hope you enjoy the content that you're hearing, and we hope that you send out the link to our channel to other people as well, uh, because it is available. All you have to do is go into Manage Channel. You can copy the link, and you can send it out. So we would appreciate that very much. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, if you're a small business owner specifically, if you'd like to reach out to us, we would love to hear your take on things, and we would love to have you on one of our podcasts. You can speak to us, you can speak to our audience, and you can bounce your ideas off of us. And you can tell us about your experiences and how you see things going forward. Again, we would love to have you on. Also, if you're not a small business owner, and you would like to extend us some feedback or drop us a comment, you can do so anytime, either one by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow here as much as possible, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you can give us a rating at your earliest possible convenience, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, gentlemen, that'll do it for the evening. And I will see you tomorrow on the exclusive Bruce. Tavish, we will see you soon. Thank you to all the listeners. For those of you who are subscribed on our Telegram channel, we will see all of you tomorrow on the exclusive. And for those of you who have not subscribed on Telegram yet, we will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend.